0: We think the bottom line to our success, to the success of individual recovery is having three things, right? Connection first, really connect. And then you feel the support mm-hmm. and then you feel empowered. And, you know, for us, it, it's a circle, right? Because you take that empowerment and you go and you connect with somebody else. And, you know, it just keeps kind of yeah. going out, right? Pay it forward. That's what this is all about.
1: ADHD rewired episode 263. This is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is a more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDrewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mention on today's show you can support us on patreon sign up for our email newsletter you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups you can do all of this at our website adhdrewired.com we know that starting is the hardest part so let's get started Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Dawn Nickel. Dawn is a certified professional recovery coach and holds a PhD in healthcare policy with a focus on women who experience issues related to mental health, addiction, and intimate partner violence. Dawn has taken her life experiences of being in recovery from substance abuse and domestic violence and cancer and codependency and grief and workaholism And turned it into an empowerment movement called She Recovers. While Dawn has not been diagnosed with ADHD, I was introduced to her by a member of one of my recent coaching groups who convinced me that I needed to talk to you as someone who really understands the power of connection and community on our path towards healing and thriving. So Dawn, welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Eric. I'm thrilled to be here and'm very grateful that um my business partner and dear friend Shelley recommended that we connect, yeah. She's given me permission to talk about her if I need to.
1: <laughs> great. Okay. I was, I was like, I hope you have permission to talk about yes. her. So great. So, <laughs> uh, thank you, yeah. Shelley. So yeah, when, when, uh, we were talking a few weeks ago and you were sharing, uh, with me some of the things that, that you have done, um, and sort of how, and how you've sort of turned your, what I like to, to phrase, turning our mess into our message, um, it seems like we've, in a lot of ways, have lived parallel lives, just in different kind of domains of, uh, of you know, of, of life. Um, yeah. So, can you share with us just a bit more of your story and kind of how you sure. uh, got to where you are now?
0: Yeah, well, I guess, you know, I preface kind of everything that I say about either my life or about She Recovers. Uh, my life and She Recovers is so deeply intertwined these days that the kind of foundational philosophy of all of it is that we are all recovering from something. So, my life has been a series of overcoming um, various things. I, I don't view myself as a, as a broken person who's needed to put myself back together so much as I, uh, view myself as a human who just has kind of been dealing with the human condition for the last now 58 years. And the human condition comes along with challenges. So, you know, I, I grew up in a family that was. A, a safe environment, physically and everything else. You know, we were well cared for, well provided for. We had a lovely home, but because of my own parents' trauma and childhood issues, uh, there wasn't a lot of emotional support in our family. So I grew up, you know, just one of those kids that didn't really know anything about emotions or didn't necessarily feel the love that um, that I think we're we're more we're better now at, at teaching parents how to exhibit and uh, show their children that they're loved. So, I guess I grew up with that question of like, wow, do these people really love me or and do they even really like me? I was pretty mm-hmm. sure my older two brothers didn't like me because <laughs> I was a brat and a little squealer and a tattletale. And I guess I just took that kind of into my adult years and ended up um, mixing in with a, a group of people who were maybe not the healthiest teenagers on the block and began doing drugs and, uh, you know, hanging out. Um, with older people who were doing more serious drugs, so I fell into that trap of of what eventually became addiction. And, and I knew very early that that I didn't actually even like doing drugs. Um, I did them because of the peer pressure and because I somehow thought that maybe one day they would give me what they seemed to be giving everybody else—you know, a sense of relief, a sense of uh, empowerment—all those things. They, they they only ever really made me scared, paranoid, sick, troubled didn't really ever enjoy them. And, mm. uh, you know, I sometimes reflect that I should have followed my instincts. You know, when I, when I would start hanging out with kids and we'd start doing drugs, I would pretend to do them and not do them after a while. Cause I didn't really want to do the drugs. So here so I was. Exactly. Or, or swallow, you know, the tabs of acid or whatever else we mm. were do. This was the seventies. Um, and, and I reflect back on how, you know, my instinct was to pretend, that I was high rather than actually get high. And of mm-hmm. course, the great irony is that by the end of my using, you know, 10, 12 some years later, I was pretending not to be high. And, mm-hmm. and you know, in all those 10 or 12 mm-hmm. years, I just see that as a period where I was just totally not living in alignment with what I wanted for myself. And I knew that. I knew that all along. It's that trust your gut thing. I knew that this wasn't for me. I wasn't good at it. I shouldn't be doing it. It was going to land, you know, me in in places I didn't want to be, including death. I had four overdoses by the time I was 20. So, wow. um, when I was 20, very uh, fortuitously, and I'm very, very, very grateful for this, I, I became pregnant and I was in a relationship at the time that wasn't really going anywhere. It ended up didn't go anywhere. Um, but I decided that I would have a child at 20, you know, kind of a drug addicted person, um, that this child would change my life. And she did. And so, that started my period of what I call harm reduction. So, from the time I was 20 till I was 27, I was, a you know, a good mom. I was a single mom. I, I went back to school, started going to school. Um, I would still twist off every once in a while. Uh, so, I became less of a regular drug user and more of a binger. Um, and the binges were sometimes quite spaced apart. But nonetheless, you know, whether you're kind of a daily drug user or a binger, the, the results can be the end that can be the same. So, um, when I was 27 and by this time I had two children and I was married, but I was in a, in a marriage that was abusive. Um, I knew again, you know, just, I knew the marriage wasn't good. I had known the relationship wasn't good. Um, it wasn't a long-term relationship and I should have just trusted my instincts from the beginning, but I just, you know, I woke up one day and said, not this, you know, Mm -hmm. not this, I'm not doing this. And, and I knew that I would have to give up drugs to get, clean and kind of clear clear to get out of the relationship. So, I went into a treatment program for 28 days and uh, came out. And I have not done cocaine or drank alcohol since July 21st, 1987. Mm. Um, I did, however, smoke a lot of pot for the first couple of years. So, for two years, I smoked an enormous amount of weed. Um, and then in 1989, May of 1989, I stopped smoking pot. So, I haven't had any of those substances um, for this now going on 30 years. Mm. And the only time that I've tried to change my mood, alter my mood with drugs was in the year 2000. My mom passed away. after 16 months of being terminally ill with leukemia. She was young. Uh, I loved her. So, I was pretty devastated. And uh, so, for a few days after she died, I did. I took her leftover pills. You know, they were narcotic pills to change how I felt. And I don't view that as a big scream and relapse. Like, oh, I went out and got Like, nobody even knew that I was doing it. I was just like, I cannot cope with these feelings. I need Mm -hmm. to feel something different. So, um, yeah. So, the last 30 years, though, has really been about exploring, really getting back to what was underneath all of this uh, desire to self-destruct, you know. And so, it comes back to the childhood and those feelings of not being enough, not being loved, not being worthy. Um, I was always pretty smart. So, going back to school and recovery was a good deal for me because I started getting the pats on the head and the kudos and the scholarships and all the recognition for being smart. So, um, you know, I kind of found in my recovery that I had, I was, I became addicted to school and and kind of addicted to that. Um, the pace, I was addicted to the pace, you mm-hmm. know, with school, anybody who's a student knows, like, there's no free time, really. Because when you're in free time, at least for me, you know, free time was, I felt guilty because I wasn't studying or I wasn't preparing for something. So, I just got on that hamster wheel of, um, I look at it now as kind of toxic, toxic productivity when I was in school and mm. at the end of, um, and then dealt with things. I ended up having cancer, obviously had some um, relationship issues. My youngest daughter decided that she would kind of fall into that drug mess as well.
1: How was that for you seeing that as a parent?
0: It was really freaky and it was very surreal. It was just after my mom had died. And I think in part Part of the, her story is probably, you know, that like I disappeared on my family for in my grief and, and leading up to when, when my mom was sick and then for the year after. So, there was like three years where I just wasn't even present. And it was at a time where, you know, I should have been paying really close attention to teenage girls knowing my own experience. But my girls were great. They were, you know, they were probably looked like I did on the outside. They were mm. good students. They had nice friends. Um So, yeah. So, that was a real surprise to me. And I just remember not knowing how to deal with it. And, you know, at first it was all about me. Like, how could you do this to me? You know, my mother's just died. And I'm like, you know, and then of course, I think that was probably the message that my mother had given to me when I started messing up in my teens. Right. So, um, luckily for me, I'm a great believer in therapy. So started seeing a therapist right away and dragging her and the entire family into therapy, which is what we like to do around here. And, you know, just got the mess. Like, this is not about me. This is about this child who is at the precipice of where you were and where do you want her to go with that? So we turned her around. It was amazing. You know, we had great support. Um, She's now my partner and the co-founder of She Recovers. So, she's doing pretty well, right? But I think what I knew at that moment was, the only thing I really knew was, I just need to do the opposite of what my mom did. And what my mom did was give up. You know, she just thought, you're just going to do what you're going to do. You're 16, you know, as if I was like an adult. And I was the opposite. I was like, you're only 16. We love you too much to let you do this to yourself. I am going to absolutely control every element of your life until you pull your head out of your butt. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked. And again, you know, she was responsive to that. I, you know, I don't mean to discount any other parents' experience where, you know, their kids don't respond. But my children were raised in a household that was a recovering household. My husband has 30 years clean. And so, they knew always that A, there was a, a good likelihood that they would fall into the trap of addiction. Mm-hmm. And B, that, you know, there was another way to live and that it looked pretty good, you know, that we had a pretty good life. So... Um, anyway, so the child and then the cancer, um, you know, codependency issues. Um, I think really just the low self-esteem was really prevalent during my, even though I was doing really good in university, I would be like devastated if I didn't get the top mark. And,
1: well, you shared a thing when yeah. we first, when we first talked that, uh, kind of the, the overachieving was sort of your, uh, what you were identified and, and praised yeah. for as a kid in school. That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So going back to university was where, you know, I could, that feeling of, okay, I am worth something because I'm smart. And I'd had that when I was a young child in school. Yeah. So it was just very confirming for me. But anyway, I just kind of whipped through the last however many years it's been in recovery, um, going in and out of different issues, learning a lot, um, and ended up in this 29, seven years ago in February, just last month, um, ended up hitting the wall with workaholism, which I've, I like to view as my final frontier. Mm-hmm. I mean, old age might be the final frontier <laughs> that I have to deal with, but in terms of addictive behaviors or unhealthy coping mechanisms... Mm-hmm. Um, it's the workaholism, and I hit the wall really hard with that. And yeah, so, the last... that
1: when we, we we first talked, um, I, I shared know. a few that uh, sort of my my experience with with uh, beginning to uh, confront that, and I and I shared a few this uh, the experience of finding a a um, a workaholics anonymous meeting that I was planning on going to on this Friday evening, except that I ended up working late, so I didn't make it to the meeting. And it was one of these things where Classic. it's like. It's funny, but it's but it's sad, you know, I know. Um, and it is it's this helpless feeling of like I know I need to stop and like tomorrow is going to be different and then just rinse and repeat the same cycle day after day yeah. right with yeah. all, with all the, the stories that we tell ourselves and the the rationalizations for like oh why why I need to just work a little bit harder just this week or this month or this year and it's you know and, I know. Um, and it's been starting to hit me you know it's like my, my son is seven and a half and I'm like yeah. holy crap like when did, first of all when did that happen and I can only imagine that uh, as you know, I hear you know, from like my, my parents and just other people who have older kids who are, who are adults, I said, like, don't you're gonna miss it, like, if you yeah. don't. And so, I can, I'm starting to feel that. And uh, just in this yeah. year, I've really I've made, uh, since, the, since the beginning of this year, I've been making some real. Uh, strides on that and it's it's been hard and it's been it's been good you know it's like I make it home most nights now before my my uh, son goes to to sleep where yeah. for, for I would go months where it's like I'd see him on the weekends like that's yeah. when I would see him and it's you like know. that that sucks like that's not a good feeling.
0: And it's, I mean, of the literature and like, this is, there's so many books, but like, this is one of the books that I highly recommend called Working Ourselves to Death by Diane Faisal, mm-hmm. The High Cost of Workaholism and the Rewards of Recovery. You know, and it just talks about how, uh, you know, as workaholics, we're, it's exactly the same as being, a, as being addicted to drugs in the end you know we end up we lie to ourselves we lie to the people we love about how much we're working we find excuses and justifications for why we're working as much as we are our health suffers you know we are uh, our, our kind of social life suffers you know all the things are even our, how we take care of ourselves or not mm-hmm. you know whether we um whether we get up and get dressed because we have a podcast at ten thirty, or whether we get up <laughs> and work until ten thirty and get on the podcast Maybe in our pajamas, maybe not. I'm not gonna say. But um and and it's you know, for me, because I'm also a perfectionist, I have to recognize that in my recovery from workaholism, I have to work. And I mean it's not like cocaine, which I could give up right. and see the benefits of that. You, we can't give up work.
1: It's almost so more it like a e- disorder about
0: managing it. I think it's a, like, you know, from what I understand, what I really appreciate through, you know, my experience of observing Shelley. Um, who has been, uh, you know, working with you and, and with your group, it's like it's a full-time job in a sense to just learn how to adapt to our challenges and learning the skills and practicing those skills. So, I mean, I practice recovery from workaholism it's, and it's a practice.
1: Mm, I don't, I yes. have not perfected it. Yes.
0: And some days I'm quite good at it. And I think I might've shared with you before, luckily for me, the type of work that I do, we have nine retreats a year. And so, nine times a year, I'm guaranteed four to seven days where I'm going to be on a retreat that because we've been doing it for so long, of course, I'm there. I'm responsible. Like, at the end of the day, I'm responsible or my daughter and I are responsible for everybody's safety and and enjoyment and everything else. But our, our retreats have become such a co-creation. We have so many repeat guests come back. They kind of run themselves. Mm. So, I'm kind of guaranteed these seven periods throughout the year where I'm going to lie on the beach. I'm going to eat guacamole. I'm going to read novels. I'm going to visit with women and be more, you know, supported by them and encouraged by them and do the same back. But it's not like I'm not sitting on my computer. I'll check email in the morning and at night on retreat twice a day, which is rather than obsessive all the time, all day. So I, I guess I'm fortunate in that I am able to, um, I still say my next, my next recovery hurdle is to achieve more regular balance in my daily life. But right now I'm pretty proud that I don't work 365 days a year like a crazy woman, like I did before. Mm. You know, I actually do look forward to. And, and as we approach, especially the Mexico retreats and the ones here on the West Coast coast, which are the most relaxing, I start just craving that downtime and that, that change of pace. And so I guess for me, as a workaholic, the difference between being a workaholic now and seven years ago was I used to thrive on get off on adrenaline seek you know like it was like I was wired physiologically to the work, and now, when i 'm working too hard, I start feeling it in the same way that I used to, but it's now it 's an indicator to me to slow the heck down
1: hey, let me ask you this because uh, as i 've been making some some progress in this area. I find myself when I am working a little bit longer than I really wanted to, I find myself getting like, like really annoyed, like very, like, why am I still here? Like, is yeah. that part of the process that, that, you know, you, you've gone through?
0: Absolutely. It's the awareness, right? You're aware of it now. Before you were working on this, you never, you, it wouldn't have occurred to you that it's 10 o'clock at night and maybe you should go home or, or whatever it is. Right. Like, so it is, it's, it's like anything with that we're recovering from. There's the stage, right? There's the stages you're aware, you know, even the stages of change.
1: Yes. yes. I'm aware
0: that this is a problem. I'm pre pre contemplating it and I'm contemplating, I'm really going to do something about it. And I just always say that I'm always in action and I haven't quite achieved maintenance yet because maintenance for me will mean balance.
1: Maintenance, I think, is one of the hardest, you know, it's like, while everything yeah. is, you know, making big changes in our lives, I think it's yeah. really hard. Yeah. I think ma- maintenance is like the, the ultra marathon. Maintenance yeah. is, it's so hard because there's so many opportunities to slip and because yeah. we're human beings and, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it takes, you know, it takes us so long to get to how we yeah. become. And if we don't, if the way we become is not, uh, not healthy. Um, it t- can take time to, to make you know new connections, healthier connections, um, right. where we develop better and healthier uh, just habits and, and a healthier lifestyle.
0: We have to rewire our brains, and we do that through our actions in many regards, right? So I, I don't know if I shared with you when we spoke before about the Workaholics Anonymous um, literature, which is available free online at workaholicsanonymous.org really, it's it's brilliant literature. I mean, I've never been to a meeting. I've never even been to an online meeting. I've been to other 12-step programs in my recovery. Um, But I love their literature and it's got some really great tools. And it talks about the idea of um, abstinence or sobriety from work addiction and this idea that like, we have to work. We can't, I'm sorry, I'm a work addict. I can't work anymore. And it's, you know, how do you gauge where you're at? And they have this wonderful tool and approach and process where they ask you to identify your bottom lines and your high lines. Mm. So your bottom lines might be, my bottom line is we get our granddaughter on Monday, on Mondays, we're her daycare on Mondays. And so I don't schedule any appointments on Mondays. And, and then I try to take that to, I don't work at all on Mondays, but if there's something, if I have to sign a document and send it back and I know I'm expecting it, I'll do that. But my bottom line, I'm still holding to my bottom line. I don't have any conference calls or podcasts or anything else that's just one of them you know there's others where um you know you might i i will not work on sundays so you kind of you set these yeah. bottom lines for yourself start with one go to two maybe three and when you're going over those there's not generally a good reason for going against yourself on them and so then you know you're moving you're not in sobriety with work anymore because you're you're breaking your word to yourself and to your family, potentially, because you share your bottom lines with your family so that they can support and, I dare say, nag you into...
1: Giving you some some healthy, healthy accountability.
0: Exactly. That's better than nagging, isn't it? Um, and then your high lines are kind of like your vision for where you want to go. So, like, my bottom line might be, I'm not going to work on Mondays because we have Marley. My... Highline is like, I'd love to not work Mondays or Fridays because some Fridays we get her to, you know, just that type of thing. Or mm. maybe it's that I won't work on Sundays because, um, you know, I want a day just to myself. But right now, you know, that's not my, my highline. I'm not, I don't really know what my highline is. I'm just really busy working on my bottom lines. I haven't been <laughs> working on even those for a while until recently. So it's just, it's a helpful tool.
1: It just, you know, it's, it's a process too that I think requires like so many things, a lot of experimentation and, and, yeah. you know, making some guesses about, like, all right, I think this is going to be the thing that, that helps and then reassessing yeah. and, and, and I'll keep checking back in. Um, yeah. what I want to do really quick, Don, is to take a quick, uh, break. And when we come back, I want to, uh, I want to keep going through your story and kind of what you're doing. Cause, uh, there's, there's a lot of inspiration that we can learn from you. So, Don, we will be right back. Thank you to everyone who supports ADHD Rewired on Patreon. Every fourth Tuesday of the month at 3 p.m. Central, patrons who give $5 a month or more can join me and a small group of patrons for one hour of high-impact coaching on Zoom. Your support helps cover production costs for this podcast from audio. Wait, ma- what's, I want to
2: know what high-impact <laughs> coaching is
1: it's a high impact coaching. It's right. We're right there. And you have a question, you have a problem, you have a challenge you're working on. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to help you drill down to, to, to identify what that, whatever that first thing to do is. Um, and thinking out our last months, we had someone who, uh, was struggling. They were stuck on a website for a long time and about their bio. And I said, well, what needs to be done? And there was just like a couple things that needed to be done. Then I asked her how long she thought she would do it for, or how long it would take her to do it. And she's, didn't think very long, so I told her, "Why don't you go do it now?" And she did. And before the the whole thing was done, the hour was done. She had completed something that she'd been putting off for months. That's what I mean by high impact coaching. Oh, I feel I like mean, I need to. If some...
2: I do an hour of that, that means that I don't have to go to the gym and do high impact cardio.
1: Um, <laughs> doesn't quite work that way. But um... I mean,
2: I can rationalize anything.
1: Can you rationalize why you should give? Some money each month for something that you could get for free. I mean, the podcast, the the community, everything else that we do that we get for free. Like, why? Like, rationalize that, please. Do it for me because it doesn't make sense. We can, you can listen to my voice every single week for free, two hundred and sixty some episodes. So if you can get it for free, why why pay for it? I thought you said you could rationalize anything. Now you're being silent. Oh, not, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah, so I was talking to I, you. I didn't
2: know if that was like you know. Just to everyone in general. A, like a what is it to you? Yeah. Like, you know, you know, for everyone to answer it themselves in their own head.
1: So give an answer.
2: Yeah. Are we so we're talking about the five dollars a month or more? Or more? Yeah. I mean it's like giving back. And I mean I go to Starbucks every day and I think my my vente latte is like five seventy-five every day. And this is like once a month. Like, I probably tip like random Uber, (laughs) like, you know, like, oh, and they, you know, they always trick you a lot of times too. They'll be like the delivery fee. And then sometimes it's like, they'll be like, oh, here, we'll just like tell you this is what 15%. This is what 20% is. And then sometimes it just automatically does a percent for you. And then you don't even notice it. And you, and then they come and you give them cash too. And then you're like, just put all that money, and instead, you could just come and learn some
1: new things. <laughs> <laughs> like where are you going About with this? <laughs> where I was going with this. Um, so, so this is like no. I got it. I got it. So seven thirty uh, on a Friday,
2: and the meds are worn uh, off. The
1: meds have worn off. So this is so. So the where don't lose it. The connection between what you just said. So with ADHD rewired, you know. So with the Uber and all those things, you don't know what's happening. With ADC Rewired, you know what to expect.
2: Right. But it's like you can also learn ways to like also not do that all the time. Like to learn how, you know, to not make mistakes (laughs) like
1: that because. Or at least learn from them. Yeah. I mean, that is the idea.
2: And laugh at them and share them and.
1: And then repeat them and laugh at ourselves because we're repeating them. Yeah. And that's the value you are contributing to when you become a patron is being a part of that that experience, the, the community, the connection, the knowing that you're supporting a small ADHD-owned business that 100% of uh, this business's employees, which are sitting next to me, um, Yes, I'm new. are ADHD. So we, we, are, we are an ADHD-friendly organization. Yes. And I got to tell you, you know, I was I was nervous about hiring somebody with ADHD. I'm like, I don't need to hire myself. Like, that's the last thing I need. And, you know, it's it's a testament to all the different flavors of ADHD. Yeah. Because, um, man, it's having a, well, at least having you, you've been fantastic. You've been here for almost three months. I haven't fired you yet. You haven't hit me yet. Um. It's a, this is a very healthy, productive working relationship.
2: I make them upset sometimes, though.
1: It is, uh, you know, I think we should share this. I, I think we should continue. If people want to know.
2: I was going to say, I'm like, you could just like do a whole episode or we could do like the ads. I think, <laughs> I think that. Uh, this is how we're trying to do ads now. Here.
1: So here's the idea. So, uh-huh. so this is what we should do. Our 530 meeting that we're having at 730. but <laughs> We're going to start having it at 530. We hit record. And. We we're gonna talk about our week.
2: Wait, well, so then we're gonna to have to actually have like our real meeting at four thirty.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I no, mean, no, we're no, not no. gonna be like,
2: let's like,
1: right? So get behind the curtain. <laughs> so, well, I think this is this is. Wait, so I wonder if patrons would like to hear ADHD at the end of the day
2: patrons i would really love to have health insurance
1: so <laughs> let's not get carried away <laughs> so go to um so okay you know what i i agree help <laughs>
2: what do i mean that's like literally how else am i how else am i gonna get health insurance <laughs>
1: by by all of you who are listening right now by going to adhdrewired.com slash patreon Hashtag get Rihanna Health Insurance. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, become a patriot. It supports so much of what we do. And um, this is the end of the longest and maybe greatest ad ever. All right. We are back with Don Nickel, who is the uh, creator of uh, She Recovers. And um, one of the stories I would love for you to share was um, when you had to share, when you had to, to defend your dissertation. Oh.
0: <laughs> that uh, being kind of an overachiever idea? Uh, well, I, for many years, I, I mean, I went to university for 13 years. I got basically addicted to school, right? I went back and I finished um, a women's studies degree, and then I did another um, gender history degree, and then I did a, a, um, a PhD in healthcare policy. And as I was, we knew at the end of that that my children were grown, we were going to have an empty, empty nest, and the goal was for my husband and I to move out here to the West Coast victoria british columbia canada where i'm sitting today and love it more than anywhere on earth Mm. and the idea was that um, i would come out here and i would um, apply actually to john hopkins university to do a postdoc there but that my husband would stay situated here on the west coast where he could fish because that was his dream after you know all the 13 years of me going to school he just wanted to he sold his business came out here wanted to fish so we got an apartment out here and i was staying behind in edmonton alberta where i went to the university of alberta and I was really sick. I had these horrible pains in my stomach for a number of weeks and didn't know what was going on. I actually kind of joke. I, I went to a wedding and I wore this really cute little dress. And I remember, and I, for the first time in a long time, this is probably too much information for you, but I wore a girdle, a, whatever, a Spanx, whatever they're called. The women who are listening will know what I'm talking about. It's like, it kind of puts you together a little bit more. I and so, at first, this. when I started, <laughs> you probably don't wear them. But when I started having these pains, like in the following days, I was thinking, I just did some harm to myself with that Spanx. People shouldn't wear those. It's hurt my stomach, something incredible. And of course, now I'm forever grateful that that happened because I started having to go to the hospital in this dire pain and nausea and all the things that were going on. And after two weeks of just going in and out of the hospital, and they didn't know what was going on, my husband had actually driven out here to the coast with all of our belongings. I was staying back in our house for another few weeks to finish teaching a course and to put the house on the market. And lo and behold, you know, when they finally did a CT scan that showed that that there was a lesion, and it was discovered that I had probably had colon cancer. And by the time they discovered it, um, the tumor had perforated my colon and I became septic. And according to the surgeon, I was within an hour, half an hour to an hour of my death. Oh my I was gosh. that sick. He said I had to go into surgery. My husband was here on the West Coast. He had to fly home and I had to write a note to him um, because I wasn't going to see him before I went under. And I wrote him a note and he still has it. And it basically, the note is not like, I love you if I'm dead, I'm sorry, or you know, kiss the kids or anything else. The note was, please phone my PhD supervisor, Susan, and make sure that she knows that I want to go ahead with my dissertation defense one week from today. And like just all this stuff, right? And it was insane. So, sure enough, um, I did survive surgery and I was really in rough shape for a number of days. But by about day three, um, I made the decision that I was going to defend my doctoral dissertation in the hospital from the um, boardroom of the dean of medicine's private wing And they agreed to that, Um, and so the nurses we just had to play around with the medications, like my painkiller. So they would give me a shot, and I would kind of go okay. Like there's about forty minutes where I'm just like zinging on the Demerol or whatever it was, and I I I can't speak about my dissertation at that time. But after forty minutes, I'm good, I'm clear, I can do it, and I can go about fifty minutes, and then you know the pain starts and I have to have it. So we played around with it for a couple of days, and and I think back first of all. How crazy was I? But how crazy were those medical professionals for That's, letting? That me do was That
1: was my thought. Like that—that—that that, that was the supported. Like, wow. Yeah.
0: And then I just kind of go to. I'm pretty persistent, like you know, and I I could convince them. No, I have to do this, and I know that my intention was that I wanted to just get it done so I could move here to the West Coast. And anybody who's ever done an advanced degree, like getting together your committee is really complicated. It had taken us six months to line up everybody's dates. I mean, the chair of the history department at Duke university was on my committee and it had taken forever to get him. So I was, I had a good reason for wanting to get it done, but so I did it. I defended my doctoral dissertation, which was on, um, policy and history around care of the dying in the North American Wests. people dying of cancer, oddly enough. And I did it. And, uh,
1: While on an IV drip. Yeah, it was weird.
0: Oh, like an IV drip, like painkiller, everything. Yeah, it was insane. It was insane. One of the funniest things was my husband, actually, he got to roll me to the boardroom and he accidentally ran the wheelchair and all the contractions into the the door jam, And I just exploded with a bad word. That's how I entered into my defense. (laughs) Like it really hurt. And at the end of it, when you do your defense, they send you out of the room to decide whether they're going to pass you or fail you. And so when I came back in, it was, you know, again, the chair of Duke, who's like just a dear, he'd been a mentor for years and years. He just said, there's no doubt, Don, that you had the sympathy factor coming in here today. (laughs) But um, he wanted me to know that despite that, that he thought that my work was brilliant and that I, you know, was fully deserving of the title of doctor and congratulated me and it felt really good and there were minor revisions to my dissertation. So that was another indicator that I had done. Okay. But that was just like an indicator, like when we want something really bad, we can do anything, you know, and, uh, to our detriment often. And sometimes to you know, sometimes it's a good thing. Um, I'm, I haven't quite landed exactly on where that experience was, but it's a heck of a story.
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it sure is. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully the, the moral of that story to to listeners is not, well, if you have to defend your dissertation, go in with an IV drip. Uh, oh, yeah.
0: so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit of morphine, a little bit of demerol, you're good. No, it's oh, not man.
1: that at all. But. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, and, to, and, yeah. to, and I think the, the thing that, that strikes me is what you just said is that like the fact that the, the doctors were all okay with this. Yeah
0: yeah it was good.
1: It's okay. a it's a culture of of like that you know the, the exhaustion is the status symbol right I Well, mean, it's... And,
0: and think about that think about medical professionals like they are the like they are as addicted to their work as probably anyone you know i mean all professionals are and lots of other people but professionals in particular uh you know there are studies that just show that you know the stress levels of medical professionals and Pilots and you like all those kind of subgroups, right? It's kind of the, yeah. the higher you go up, the, the harder you work and the harder you have to work to keep your space. And
1: So you you said to me that when we first spoke that um, one of the, the reasons that you uh, created this organization um, was that you said that everyone knows what addiction looks like, but that they don't know what recovery looks like.
0: Yeah, I think it's really, you know, in your country, my country and countries around the world- we're faced with an epidemic right now, the opioid epidemic in particular. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a serious matter. And, you know, as a, as a former opioid user myself and, you know, having lost as many people as I have to that epidemic uh, in recent years and recent times, as well as, you know, I mean, people were dying of heroin overdoses in my life many decades ago, too. That and, you know, when we think about the homelessness problem here on the West Coast in particular... People have an understanding and a misunderstanding of what addiction is, and you know the the view of it, and and that that's what addiction really is, and and they don't see they don't see the physicians and the nurses who are you know wired to the drugs that they're administering and then taking a little bit for themselves. So there's this kind of silent epidemic that also goes on, an almost invisible epidemic, and. I'm not too invested in the idea of uh, revealing all of the, you know, all of the people out there that are actually addicted. I I think you can just assume, and people know in their own families, I don't know very many people who have not been touched by addiction in their families. So, we know, we know what it looks like, whether our dad's a doctor or our brother is on the streets shooting heroin. Like, we know what it's like and how it affects our families. But we don't know what, what does recovery look like? You know, and and the reason for that in large part is, and there's this, you know, an ongoing, many, many, many decades old recovery advocacy movement that hasn't got a lot of traction until the last few years has been trying to promote this idea that, hey, there are people who do recover. I mean, there's millions of us. Uh, In the United States alone, there are 23, maybe 24 million people who identify as being in recovery, active recovery from substance use disorder. There's as many and more who could benefit from being in recovery. Uh, only 5% of all people who have problems with substance use disorders do get help. So, but we don't know that, you know, so how do people know if you've got a problem you're struggling with, you know, you're drinking too much or you're taking too many drugs or, or even, you know, you're working too much. How do you know that you can recover unless there's an example of it somewhere? And so I've just always been interested in having the conversation and, um, continuing to advance the conversation around recovery is possible. It's awesome. It doesn't mean you become this perfect person, but you can give up those things which are killing you and, and, you know, might be killing you physically. It might just be killing your spirit, might be killing your marriage, might be killing your job, um, but that you can recover. And I just want to continue to explore what recovery looks like and to continue to show we focus primarily on women, but we know that if when women heal, their children heal, families heal, communities heal. So I'm just really devoted, kind of, to that project of uh, being recovering out loud. It's one of our principles. You know, we say mm-hmm. that when we're ready, we recover out loud, so that women who are struggling can find and join our movement. And and I'm pretty out loud about it. I mean, I've been on the on in newspapers. I'm on podcasts. I'm on social media. Like I'm like I'm an open book, as I said earlier to you. But we we don't expect that everybody is going to have to move into that space. Um, Recovering Out Loud might just be when you're at a party and somebody isn't drinking and they go, well, I'm just not drinking because, you know, and you can kind of tell, well, they're not drinking because they have a drinking problem and they don't know how to say that. And then if you say to them, I actually don't drink alcohol anymore either because I used to, you know, it used to, it wasn't doing me any good or it brought more harm to my life than good. That's recovering out loud. You're saying to one other person, yeah. I'm an ally with you in this room full of 40 people and 38 of them are going to be sloshed by the end of the night. And there's you and I, right? It's just having that. So, so the small conversations, the uh, the codependency, you know, talking about love addiction. I just think that people are more interested in seeing people on the other side of problems. It's more hopeful than mm-hmm. as lecturing or providing information about, you know, are you an addict? Are you a love addict? Are you a codependent? Yes, I am. You know, I get all the check marks. I answer 20 out of 20. That's so, great. then now, what?
1: Now, I'm in the shame hole. Exactly. Now what? Yeah,
0: exactly. The shame hole. So, and, you know, I you know I, I shared with you that what I find, re- and I wish I'd, I hadn't thought about, I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore, so I couldn't even pull it up. Um, but last night in our secret Facebook group, there was a discussion by a woman who was talking about uh, being recently diagnosed with ADHD. And, on that thread, there's like eight or ten other women coming on, sharing their experience of having been um, – most of them, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, were diagnosed as adults mm-hmm. with ADHD. Which and they so were common. sharing their strategies. They were sharing resources. I shared this resource. And they were sharing They were sharing their meds. Like, they were sharing – what. which I get a little bit nervous when people start saying, do this medication or that right. medication. Like, so, I'll go in there later and I'll just say – you know, consult a medical professional before you make or but but it's just like they're recovering from that. Yeah. And uh and they're getting support from other women who are saying that I've successfully been treating my ADHD for seven, eight, ten years, whatever you know, they were sharing. And that really is just what it's about. It's you know, we're all recovering from something and we do it, we have to be supported to find and follow individualized pathways. There isn't a one you know, one size fits all, which is another reason that I'm so passionate about the space that we've created. You know, I was I was raised in a twelve step recovery program in recovery because in 1987 and 1989, nobody was saying go do some yoga and you'll recover. You know, listen to yeah. podcasts. You know, join a Facebook group. Like there was just none of <laughs> right, this. It was like right. go to twelve step recovery or you will use and you will die. And that yeah. that may have been true then in some regards, because if I didn't have other recourse to recovery, I wouldn't have recovered. Um, but now what we love is um, being able to share about all the wonderful resources and give women and other people the freedom to choose how they want to recover. It's It's empowering, right? It's empowering people to take charge of their own lives. And not that they should be the boss of their own recovery completely. They should still consult with people. You know, they should still go to treatment if they're at that end of the spectrum. But just I think like,
1: a part of empowerment though is also saying yeah. you know what I'm okay with saying that I need help and that yeah. I need to I need to have somebody else help me with wherever I am in in this space. Yeah. you know it's yeah. you know in like in my in my coaching groups um, sometimes people come in and they'll say like you know I want to learn how to keep myself accountable I'm like yeah. what if we shift that perspective and so what if we can learn to to know that it's absolutely okay and encouraged to say, I need help to do this thing because I know that I need to do this thing and I can't get myself to do it on my own.
0: And I, uh, if I could just share a little bit of Shelly's, our experience of working with Shelly, you know, we kind of started working together. We've known her. She's been a a dear friend for well over a year. And, but working together was kind of, it almost coincided with when she had her diagnosis and, and when she started the training, I mean, shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. And it just in the same way that I think, (laughs) you know, she learned strategies and she learned, like, I saw her shifting from being so hard on herself because she would get overwhelmed or being so hard on herself because she would have forgotten something to, you know, just admitting like, oh, I just, I just had an ADHD. like, and you know, there was no shame. This, the shame is mm-hmm. going away, right? It's just kind of like, I just had an ADHD moment and here you go, or here you don't go, or, you know, here it is, or maybe it's not there and forget about it because I don't remember what, it, you know, it's just, it's been great. And Mm. I, you know, that's my observation of of her process is she's coming to a personal acceptance that she has this thing that she will recover from. And she'll do that through sharing with other people who also are recovering from that and through learning the tools and being vulnerable enough to say, I need more help or I need to do less of this or, um, and for us, like we're learning, you know, we're learning how, um, I mean, we're a, a team of five women, basically, and it's kind of like we all have our stuff. We're all control freaks, which is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> you know, some of us, a couple of us are workaholics. A few of us are, um, I mean, I won't go into all the personalities of who we all are, but we're all very different, but we all bring something. You know, Shelly's thing is ADHD. My thing is like toxic controlling, <laughs> which I'm working on. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's been really interesting and I... I love that she's had access to your group because um, I know how much she's learned and we're learning through her as well right she well, shares with us what she's learning so thank you
1: it's neat to hear the uh, uh, from uh, from an observer of somebody in in the group it's it's very yeah. cool to and the biggest to hear. thing is
0: just like her putting her stick putting the big stick away
1: you know yeah, I'm so glad that you're seeing that too and that you see yeah. seen the because uh, yeah when when she first came into the group. You know, it's just like, I just want to, you know, and in a sense, she did get this, the big old hug from everyone virtually in the group. Cause it's like, yeah. wow, you're being so hard on yourself. Like, yeah. it's, you know, yeah. it's my, you know, I would tell her I screw the stuff up too. Yeah. And we don't have to hide and be secret, you know, secret about it. It's when we share it, it. Sharing the stuff that we're struggling with, it it that dissipates. Yeah, it dissipates the shame, and when we can, when we're not in shame, we can actually make progress on whatever it is we're working on.
0: Yeah, yeah, we do the same. We do online programs for women in recovery, and they're—I mean—recovering from a lot of different things. The majority will be in in early, relatively early substance use recovery, but it's just that same thing. You know, speaking, you hear something come out of somebody else's mouth that would come out of your mouth if you had just had kind of the the gumption to say it, but.
1: I think for anybody listening who has never had that experience, please, like, find a support group. Find a community. Yeah. Because they're, you know, I I was talking with my my groups yesterday where, like, the the second to last session that we do is a a feedback session where I basically put myself in the whole group process in the hot seat. And I'm like, all right, help me make the group better for the next time. And, you know, I've been doing this for years. And and I always do that at our second to last session. And, you know, the question I, I was asking to everybody is like, what can I do? Cause, you know, I, I want to reach everybody with ADHD and, and help them, you know, experience this. And so what can I do to help people understand who, you know, just want to come in? They just want to get a hold of their to-do list. They just want to get a hold of their calendar. And man, and how can I help people really understand that? Yes, we're going to do that. And that's great. And that's important and it's valuable. But what really makes that possible is the connection to other people with ADHD the sharing the stories and having a generous helping of self-compassion. Yeah.
0: So true. Exactly. Like we just, we, we think the bottom line to everything to our success, to the success of individual recovery is having three things, right? Feeling support, connection or connection first, really connect. And then you feel the support Mm -hmm. and then you feel empowered. And you know, for us it's a circle, right? Because you take that empowerment And you go and you connect with somebody else and you know, it just keeps kind of going out, right. Pay it forward. That's what this is all Mm -hmm. about.
1: Yeah. And that even just that idea gives me goosebumps because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, I've been doing this for, I'm about to hit my, uh, my five year anniversary just of the podcast and, you know, thank you. And just knowing how many people that it's, it's helped and how many people who have, touched other people because of the help that they've gotten. And it's, man, I mean, yeah. what, talk about a healthy addiction. You know, yeah. I mean, that, like, I that keeps me coming back for more because there's nothing that feels better than that.
0: I, I agree. Just the example of that is like the thread last night. I, I can't offer too much on ADHD, but to just know that there's a space called She Recovers Together with like there's 2,100 women in there and somebody with an ADHD issue says, uh, I need some thought on this. And then to, you know, for this swarm of women to come on in and, and just do that support, um, yeah, it's 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 magical, right?
1: Hmm. What I want to do really quickly is take a a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to hear uh, some more specifics about uh, about she recovers and the, the stuff that you have that you're putting on, and uh, in, in I think areas all over the country and online. So uh, when we come back, we'll hear more about that. Thank you. Our spring coaching and accountability groups are full, but there's still time to join the wait list. We start April 4th, so go to coachingrewired.com to learn more or to see dates for upcoming sessions. Summer sessions will be July 15th through September 20th. Orientation will be the week of July 8th. With tax refunds coming soon, reinvest in that with tax refunds.
2: You can do
1: it. Okay. okay, You can do it. You can do it. (laughs) With tax refunds coming soon, reinvest that into your growth. We're only going to be doing two sections this summer, so spots will go fast. To be the first to find out about registration for our summer sessions, go join our- Whoa,
2: whoa, whoa, whoa. Only two sections this summer?
1: Yeah.
2: That's news to me.
1: Really? Yeah. I know. I've told you this like multiple no. times. Oh, come on, no. come on, no, no. I...
2: No. Well, we've been talking about those weeks, ten weeks, ten weeks, ten weeks. You were like debating it when we were doing our big picture plan.
1: Um, two two sections. We haven't just had it on the time so yet,
2: um,
1: or the days. Are we gonna have half days? Um, maybe.
2: Then we can have. Creative days. Maybe the second half of the day could be creative. Sorry. Carry on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) With tax refunds coming soon, reinvest that into your growth. We're only doing two sections this summer, so spots will go fast. To find out about registration and to be the first one to find out about it, go to our website coachingrewired.com and join our email list we will then email you
2: i mean i'll be the first one and then everyone
1: it's, else will be it's true because you're going to probably be posting it on <laughs> on, on the world wide web <laughs> yeah. on the information super highway where we will hope to see you there at the intersection of coaching and rewired.com yeah <laughs> I just want to say that um, I didn't write this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Eric Tivers, and I support this ad.
2: I didn't write that, but I support this ad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Join us every second Tuesday of the month live and get your questions answered. Join me and Brendan Mahan, the host of our other podcast, ADHD Essentials. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events, and you can register for the next six months of Q&As and get email reminders about all of them. It only takes a minute. It's free to register. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. That's ADHDrewired.com slash events. All right. We are back with Don Nickel, the creator, visionary, founder of She Recovers. So, uh, I want to take this, to the last, I guess, third here and talk really about your organization and, um, like how, how you're helping people, how people can be, get connected to it. Great. Um, cause I think it's from what it sounds like you're doing, you're doing really just extraordinary work for so many people.
0: Yeah. We're doing a lot. It's quite funny when I, when I, kind of give the inventory of what we're all up to, it, it's quite apparent that we have a team of um, overachievers and workaholics because we, we got a lot going on. Um, you know, we started out as a Facebook page and it was just kind of, I I'd originally blogged and then that turned into a Facebook page. And then we did a, a self-care yoga retreat. And over a number of years, we did more retreats. And a couple of years ago, just everything that we've done has been very organically driven, consumer driven, and women started saying things like, well, we want a big conference. We want more than just 20 people at a retreat. We want to be in a room with 500 women in recovery. We want more online offerings. So so just as, you know, we've been trying out different things and as our capacity has allowed us, we've increased our offerings. Um, I'd say the primary way to describe what we do is that we create welcoming spaces and transformative opportunities, both online and in person to connect, support and empower women in or seeking recovery and our current offerings are we do retreats so we do self-care retreats um we're going off to kripalu center for yoga and health in western mass later this month for a retreat we host them there and then we're doing two in mexico um one week retreats on the in the mayan riviera we've been going there since like forever our first mexico Mm -hmm. retreat was 2012 uh, and then on the in the summer, we do on the West Coast here on a beautiful little Gulf Island called Salt Spring Island, we do four-day retreats. And, you know, the focus of our retreats is self-care. It's really not to go and deliver a bunch of programming. At Kripalu, we do a little bit more programming. We actually do some group coaching. But at our West Coast and our Mexico retreats, it's all about unplugging. And actually, what we like to say is you, you come to us knowing everything that you need to know. You just haven't had time to listen mm. to yourself. And you just need to come and remember who you are and what you really want. And, you know, we do like a ceremony where we ask people to set an intention. And it's just, it's a, it's for a lot of people, it's women who come back year after year and it is their reset button for every year. So, the retreats are amazing and a big part of my recovery, as I said earlier. We've also, we're in the early stages of doing, um, setting up sharing circles. We have coaches. We work with an organization called the International Association of Professional Recovery Coaches, and they train women to become life coaches and recovery coaches. And then those women take a She Recovers coach designation with, with us, which is really just us um, training them in our philosophy. Our philosophy consists of 10 intentions and guiding principles, and it's a 10-hour module that just makes sure that they are aligned with our principles. Um, and then they go off and start their own individual practices. And uh, so, we have coaches who are leading sharing circles. In we have a coach in Sydney, Australia. We've got coaches training in Saudi Arabia. And we have coaches in London and France, all over the world. Um, the majority are in the U.S. and then a growing number in Canada. So, we provide coaching they provide coaching circles in real life. We also have um, started organizing meetups. We really want to make sure that our offerings, that there's a wide range of offerings so that everybody can access something. Mm-hmm. So, our meetups are like in some places, it's just a group of women and they get together for coffee. In others, they do hikes. Some of them go to a yoga class. Others, they'll do a painting class. But again, very informal, volunteer-led, pro-social events. Um, so, those are a big thing right now. We've got online coaching programs, similar to what you do. We have like a maximum of 15 women per session. We do it for six weeks, just not as long as yours. Um, And we just kind of, you know, go through helping them set an intention, coming up with an action plan, working through some of their limiting beliefs, helping them learn how to set boundaries. And it's really about accountability. And the feedback we get on our online groups is the biggest thing is just like connecting with and listening to other women who they can relate to. A lot of women who find us online, find us online because that's where all their recovery is. They don't, they're not doing in life recovery. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty valuable for them. My daughter, Taryn and the co-founder of she recovers, um, has created a beautiful, she recovers yoga program. So she has an online membership for people. It's a beautiful trauma informed yoga. And, um, she's also going to be training yoga teachers to take our, she recovers yoga teacher training in the fall. Uh, we're, and we do conferences. So, we've done a couple of really big conferences. We did one in New York City in May 2017, one at the Beverly Hilton in September past. Um, these are 500 to 600 women, you know, big major mm-hmm. keynote speakers like in, in New York. We had Marianne Williamson, who's now just running for president, don't you know? Um, and G- Gabby Bernstein. We had Cheryl Strait, the author of Wild um, in New York, or sorry, in LA. And we're going to Miami. In May 2020. We decided in 2019 we weren't going to do a big conference. It's such a big job. We were going to have to have a break. So, we've already booked May 1st to 3rd in Miami for our conference. We're going to be announcing where it is and some of our speakers next month. Um, But in 2019, we decided we want to get out on the road and bring our message to more women. So, we launched the um, She Recovers Creating Connections tour. Our sponsor is Hazel and Betty Ford and we're going into seven communities across North America, two in Canada and five in the U S and we want to bring together recovery seekers, service providers, and advocates to have a conversation in each city about, you know, this is what she recovers is about. Do you find that there'd be a need here? You know, help them set up meetups. And in most of the places we're going to, we have coaches who will be setting up sharing circles, but really just offering to professionals, this idea that, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you have somebody who's coming with you, whether it's codependency or gambling or, or whatever they're they're struggling with, the only answer that professionals used to be able to give is just go to a 12-step meeting. And you know, we're not anti-12-step. Like I said, I'm a strong supporter of 12-step recovery. Um, but there have to be other options because 12-step recovery doesn't work for everyone. So, mm-hmm. we're inclusive of 12-step recovery, but we're not restricted to or affiliated with 12-step recovery. We're looking forward to having those conversations starting in Chicago on April 6th, then Toronto, June the 9th. Uh, we're going to um, Nashville on August the 3rd, Vancouver, British Columbia on September the 8th, um, Va- Seattle, September the 14th, New York on October the 12th, I think I could be wrong and San Diego uh, in November.
1: And I'm sure that all of these dates and and details are on on our our website
0: website under the Creating Connections tour. Yeah. Only Chicago is open for registration. We literally just launched
1: it a few days ago. Wow. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm kind of in awe at Dawn. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I know. As, as I'm listening well, to, to what you're doing, I'm like, how can I make like parallel that for, for ADSG Rewired? Cause it's, I just, I right. love the ideas of what you're doing.
0: Well, it's all glory to the team that I work with. Right. You know, Shelly, my daughter, Taryn, Peyton, and our event producer, Dara, like we, um, yeah, we're, we're a pretty, pretty high functioning team.
1: Wow. That's, that's awesome. That's gotta feel so good. Yeah, it does. It does. So um, give us like the, the website and how people could find out more about um, your yeah. organization.
0: Pretty easy. Um, she recovers one word dot co, not dot com, but if you put in she recovers, we come up. I mean, we've got pretty good Google whatever you call that thing. Um, and I then on that. on Facebook, we have an open Facebook page called she recovers. And then anybody who wants to be invited to the secret Facebook group, she recovers together can either just post on our Facebook page and somebody will attend to that. Or they can email me Dawn at she And
1: we'll get, we'll get all the links to that posted on yeah. the show notes for, uh, for Great. this episode. Yeah. Don, wow, it's uh, it's, a really inspiring story and what you're doing is um, it's very energizing. Just hearing like the, the how you're reaching people, how you're getting connect- getting so many people connected. Um, so thank yeah. you for, for what you're doing. Yeah.
0: And I, I just, I think I maybe haven't said this and it's something that I like to stress always when I talk about She Recovers is it truly has been a co-creation. You know, our team is magnificent. We're really awesome, but it is, you know, it's the women who, who appear, whether it's on the Facebook page or on a retreat or at a meetup who are just really hungry for connection and support. And, you know, they're not there just to take they, everybody who comes to us, like they come and they know as soon as they get there, like, I want to help. I want to be mm-hmm. a part of this solution. I want to help show what modern recovery looks like. And so we are just always grateful for our co-creators.
1: I'm um, I'm I'm really excited to share this with my with my listenership. I we know that also with with ADHD that um, we have a higher rates of, of addiction uh, yeah. in in our population. So yeah. um, the the more resources and help and connection that we can uh, provide, um, you know, it's the, the better, healthier, more vibrant uh, we'll all be. So yeah. thank you.
0: Well, and thank you very much for your work. You know, I've I've seen it in action. I've seen the results, and uh, yeah, it's 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 uh it's life-changing and and i appreciate everybody doing the work that we're all doing to just support other people who are like us not broken just you know little need a little bit of need need a strategy we just need we all just need a strategy
1: that's right so man thank thank you so much i really really enjoyed this conversation don thank you eric all right take care This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email Newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDRewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tivers. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD Rewired. If you're a coach, therapist, or related professional, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Eric Tivers. You can also subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube. And you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. And if you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader, and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website, ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of CHAD or any other ADHD support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on to a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes are automatically pushed to your favorite podcast app. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audibletrial.com slash. ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? In no particular order. Check out Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk, 10% Happier, and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced audio I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, Magical, I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series. And I don't usually listen to those kinds of books, and I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability. And if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, Dare to Lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, and would be so kind to make that connection for me, I would be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com and then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre-interview. This is Eric Tibbers reminding you to keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. Self-care is not selfish, and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done, at the end of the day, you are still enough. And no matter how hard it feels, we can do hard things. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.